Welcome to It's All About the Questions, where learning to ask the right questions can help you achieve lifelong success. Now, here to help you ask all the right questions is award-winning author, international speaker, and business strategist, Laura Stewart. Good morning, afternoon, and evening, everyone, wherever you're listening from around the world, since people are listening in 60 countries around the world, and you may be listening on the podcast, so I don't know what time of day it is for you. I can tell you that it's a different time of day for me and my guest, since she's out in California, and I'm sitting here in Florida at the radio station, and I'm just always so excited to be here with all of you every week. It continues to be the highlight of my week to bring you these amazing guests that I have. Um, I know mom's not in the back room listening, but she's in a higher place now listening. And I know she would love this about to happen interview with my dear friend, Amy Cardell. She's the president and co-founder of Clever Ducks. Love, love, love that name. And please do not send her any rubber duckies. She's got more than she can ever imagine. Um, And she's the chairwoman of CompTIA board of directors. In addition to a Rotarian and just she just got her law degree on top of it all uh she just decided she wanted to get her law degree so she went and did that so please welcome my my friend amy cardell to the show everyone amy welcome 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 thanks for having me this morning for me out here in california and uh, really glad to be here and curious about the questions you keep asking people to make them think yeah you know it, it's funny because to me and to you as well, questions really change the frame and the focus for what we do. You have a tech company, uh, Clever Ducks, like I had Guardian Angel Computer Services. You're on board of directors, advisory boards, and questions really can change the direction of a business. Why are questions so important to you? When someone asks a question, I'm listening for their intent behind it. You know, there's the words they say, but there's also how they say it. And really, I always want to understand how can I best help the person I'm talking with get to the answer they're looking for or even think of the question they haven't asked because they haven't thought of the next thing. So for me, the question they ask helps diagnose where they're coming from and maybe helps the conversation change if they didn't ask the question I I think is behind the question. If I can anticipate that, then I really think I'm a good listener. But it's a hard thing to do. Yeah, it's it's interesting because you said the question behind the question. (laughs) One of the things that when I wrote my book and and this whole show is about as well, and when I do my one-on-one with people, is so many people ask questions to get the answers they want, not necessarily the answers they need. So the question behind the question, if I'm understanding you right, helps you understand where they kind of want to go so you can determine if it's really the right direction. Absolutely. Because if it's a, you know, in my day job at Clever Decks where we provide business consulting and computer consulting, you know, somebody might call and say, what? what line of business application should I use? And, you know, that's about the fifth question in the series of questions. It's not the fundamental question of, okay, where are you in the life cycle of your business? What are you trying to do with your business? What do you have in your budget? 
what are you currently using? What is your staff familiar with? You know, there's a whole lot of questions behind that, as well as maybe, are you even the right person to work with? Because how you answer this question will determine if I want to work with you as a consultant. So the seemingly simple question, what software should I use for my, my line of business and my application, isn't really the question they're asking most of the time. And, you know, that comes up in so many different ways in life um, that we're going to have to really stop and say, hmm, how can I best serve the person I'm speaking with? Okay, so it's not just about their question. It's about thinking 10 steps around it and saying, okay, I, I can answer this, but which hat do I need to be wearing when I'm answering and how do I combine all the hats to answer it? I think that's a good way to put it. Yeah, because we all have more than one hat. And we can bring a depth to an answer or we can bring a shallow answer. And I think there's some questions really just for the results needed, but more often than not, there's more to that question. And it's interesting. I want to congratulate you, by the way. You just got, you just passed the bar exam. And, and yeah, you're now thanks. officially a lawyer, JD after your name, Esquire. And All that stuff. Yeah, it happened. So, yeah, it was great news on Friday. Just a couple of days, just, just yeah, two days ago I found out. And um, so this is my celebration weekend, and I'm just happy to to be uh, over that that hurdle. They do ask uh, six essay questions on the California bar exam, and so those questions are heavy in my mind still because you replay it until you get the results. And, um, you know, they're on that kind of an exam too. They're asking the question to see what do you know? And do you understand the issues behind the question? Because you could answer the question they asked and totally fail the exam if you didn't go through the issues that the question raised. You could go to the cut to the chase and miss the whole analysis of what they're looking for. So yeah, that's another example where the question behind the question it was a big part of success. So I'm just grateful to have that that finished. Thank you. And lawyers, is, trial lawyers especially, are, are famous for trying to, I guess interviewers are the same way. We, we want to get to the answer behind the question and get a little deeper with it. You talked about the shallow answers versus the, the deep answers prior to the conversation around the bar exam and then in the bar exam. How do you know if you want to give the shall answer? I mean, is there are times that it's appropriate, right? Say somebody's on the, the witness stand and you're the prosecutor and, and you, you're the defendant attorney, right? And you want the person to just answer yes or no. You don't want them to expand <laughs> because that could open a, a can of worms. Um, have In your experience running your business, chairing the board of directors of CompTIA, being on the Rotary and, you know, advisory board of um, men, you know, several organizations, including ConnectWise, which is one of the leaders in, in the tech industry. How do you ask yourself questions to understand the kind of answer you need to give? You know, I look for the context of when I'm asking a question of others. Uh, you know, are we around a board table? How much time do we have? Um, or if I'm looking to influence a decision, 
and I'm in a public forum versus a private forum, you know, I don't want to ask a question of someone if I don't already know the answer sometimes, right? Because <laughs> there's times like in the courtroom or maybe in a government meeting where you better have done some pre-work to know what that person's going to say because now they're on the dais or now they're in a boardroom and the pre-work of the meeting was a lot of explaining, a lot of understanding had to happen and now we're going to take a vote of some kind or now we're going to take an action of some kind. And I don't want to ask a question where I don't know the answer. So I think my number one piece of advice is, you know, be sure when you ask a question that uh, in some time, you have to know the difference between when you need to know the answer before you ask it and you don't. Um, But when I ask myself questions, I look to surrounding myself with people who will challenge me. I don't want yes people that work for me or with me. I want some people who are provocateurs who will say, why are you doing it like that? Have you thought about the future consequences? Are you aware of this issue? Um, That's a dumb idea. Tell me what your biggest opponent would say to that idea. Um, I think you need to surround yourself with people who are willing to speak truth or question the status quo and that requires you to be humble when you show up um, and not squeeze out that challenging opinion but rather to invite it that's interesting so invite the opinion be open to another viewpoint another perspective which is what this show is all about anyway is about giving you some different perspectives. Interesting you use the word humble. You and I both were recently at IT Nation and Patrick Lencioni, who I just love. Uh, he's on par with so many other authors like Bob Berg and John David Mann and uh, Brandon Webb and, yeah. and others. And he talked about one of the key characteristics of a ideal team player and even an ideal leader, and one of them was being humble. And it's not a word that is often used in conversation around asking questions. A lot of people are just like, you ask the question and and that's it. You know, just be out there, be forward. So you have that perspective of being humble when you're asking the questions and getting the answers. That's interesting perspective. Yeah, I think that asking open-ended questions, not yes-no questions, of course, is one way to do that as well. Um, but again, it's so much of it's the context, you know, it's easy to forget when you're in a leadership position that you're intimidating, that you might be having a chilling or, or effect on the room, or you might be entering a situation where because you're the boss or you're the mom or you're the PTA president or you're the, even the customer in a business that if you ask to speak to the manager, you've just raised the temperature in the room. And the context of the question you now ask is sort of loaded. And um, and, and we're going to and we're going to go really into important. we're going to have to go into our first commercial break. We'll be right back with more from Amy Cardell. Success comes from not only what you know, but also who you know. Welcome back to It's All About the Questions with award-winning author Laura Stewart. 
Amy, before the commercial break, um, which was non-existent to the podcast listeners, but for the live listeners, it is. I, I love this concept you said of how are you loading the question and understanding your role when you're answering the question as well is, is so important. How have you seen that in your own life and in your business really play in? So one of the things we're really concerned with with IT consulting, of course, is computer security, right? There's been a lot of bad information stolen. There's been a lot of hacks. There's been a lot of breaches. And people are concerned and stressed about protecting their business information, let alone their personal information. So where I see that is, um, you know, when we start talking and trying to educate with questions, our clients and our peers about computer security, the questions we ask can be so based on fear that they're not helping the outcome. I think we need to start with really trying to understand where people are coming from and help educate and guide the process. You know, the number one thing people can do is use a unique password on every site because if one site's compromised, boom, their password's out there and then, it, you know, the bad guys will try that same password across lots of sites and you don't want to have the whole domino effect of a, ba- a password being out there go through and destroy your identity. And we need to ask questions that uh, help people understand that. You know, do you have unique passwords and how are you managing those? Um, and then answer with questions, you know, answer with, really actionable items that a password management system uh, is really going to be necessary for people and help them understand how they can protect themselves without freaking them out along the way. I'm sitting here, I've got like 10 questions going through in my head right now just based on that because it's interesting here in the U.S. and I have listeners in 60 countries around the world and they have their own unique... Uh, conversations and, and questions and national issues. There are world issues, like you said, cybersecurity around the world. Asking questions from fear-based or to generate fear is an interesting perspective. Because I would imagine that there are, I, I can see several examples in my own head of times when you want to ask questions to evoke fear in the person you're asking it of because you want them to get how serious the situation could be. You want them to feel the fear. But then you would need to shift that questioning after you got them to feel that fear to be something productive to get them out of that fear and protect themselves. Yes? Correct. Because if it's too scary, like why bother? Can't change something. Or their effect is so affected that they can't be rational. And, you know, a lot of times fear is used in selling as well. Like, oh, we're really going to use a scare tactic so people buy a solution. So I think everybody's jaded to that as well. So there's a, there's a fine line of educating and asking the question at the same time to get to a productive place where people move forward with thinking about, oh, here's a step I can take that's practical, affordable, and can be, and can make a difference. Um, and we need to help people find those solutions. I know one of the things that Clever Ducks is known for is 
creating a plan that meets the clients where they're at, but takes them to where they need to be, but helps them start somewhere. When you created, you and your husband founded Clever Ducks, was that planned or did that sort of evolve over time? You know, I think when you really want to serve people, you have to meet them where they're at. And everybody's going to be coming from a different place. And when we start to work with someone, we <laughs> you kind of realize you only know the tip of the iceberg. There's a whole bunch more about business or people that you just don't know. And uh, developing those relationships over time where you can really understand them and where they're trying to go is how you can make the biggest difference. So I think that's something that just evolves over time. It, it's it's not, uh, there's no shortcuts and people who uh, try to make shortcuts, something, something breaks along the way on that and it feels cheesy or it feels superficial. Um, like you're being worked if you don't uh, take the time to really think about and really get to know the other person that you're helping. Has anything changed in your relationship with your husband since you guys founded the company? I have a lot of listeners that are in family businesses or they're starting businesses with their spouses. Do you have some suggestions or tips for them on how they can work together and still like have a loving relationship? I think that's a great question. So family businesses are a unique animal, aren't they? And it can be between spouses, siblings, parents and children, uncles and aunts, uh, any, any combination thereof, you have a, you have a loaded situation. And the most important thing to remember is that it's just work. And that there's also a relationship that's irreplaceable in the family. And that the family relationship comes first. And if the person can't do the work, isn't a good role, it's okay to say, hey, I love you. And you're my best friend. And I, you know, I'm married to you and it's great but I can't work with you. So I'm going to fire you as an employee, but I'm going to love you as a spouse. And I think understanding those roles separately is really hard. Um, and I, the people who are most successful see, I, that I've noticed over the last 20 years of watching this are the people who can keep that separate. And then once they have the role between the personal sphere and the work sphere separated, then they really define their role within the work sphere so that everybody's got a clear swiveling. So, you know, in our business, I handle back office, legal, HR, makes a lot of sense. I've had a lot of different hats in the business. I'm kind of a Swiss Army knife, uh, but yet... You're the MacGyver. Got, yeah, there you go. But currently I have my swim lane, and Peter, my husband, has his swim lane, and... Um, you know, we come to each other in a regularly scheduled um, rhythm for our report outs. Um, our subordinates know what our rules are, and that creates clarity. And I don't cross the line, just like I wouldn't in any corporate structure, because it just creates more chaos. Um, 
than needs to be. And we also are really careful with another boundary. That is, uh, once we get home, we don't talk about business. There has to be separation. It took years to get to that point. Um, but, you know, we can have issues at work where, you know, we've just found out we're going to need to make a change with an, a team member or a client. And, you know, one of us will know that at 4.55 p.m. or something. And, you know, not going to see each other tonight till 7, maybe after going to the gym and doing something with the kids. And, you know, it's really important, I think, not to bring it up unless it's a super emergency at dinner at 7 because the issue is not going to change until 8 a.m. the next morning. And uh, that's a work issue. And separating that from home uh, can create a lot more stability and harmony uh, than than mulling over it at night would. Um, so it's a matter of cre- hours. It's a matter of creating your roles, defining the roles, and then setting some boundaries to help you as you're navigating it, so that you you have some personal space and time. And we're going to talk some more about this, and and I have some more questions around that, Amy. When we come back from the national news break, we're here with Amy Cardell, president and co-founder of Clever Ducks, chairwoman of CompTIA board of directors dear friend of mine and we'll be right back back everyone if you listened on the if you're listening live not live well on the podcast you got to miss the national news if you were listening to us live on iHeartRadio, you just heard all of that and we are back here with amy cardell amy we were talking before the break about finding balance inside uh, a family-owned business you and your husband peter uh, founded clever ducks and, you know, you talked about understanding your your lane inside the business and also when you get home, how you deal with things. I want to take that another step further. You recently, as we talked about, got your law degree. You chair the CompTIA Board of Directors. You're on the ConnectWise Advisory Board. You're very involved with Rotary. That can put a lot of pressure on a business relationship and also on a personal relationship. What are some of the questions that you were asking yourself that enabled you and Peter to be good with these changes in direction for you personally in your business life and in your personal life? Well, one of the funniest things about working with your spouse is that you have double the contact hours. So I always like to joke that even though we've only been married just over 20 years, that we can really claim our 50th anniversary because it counts for at least twice. (laughs) So that's the first tip I give everybody. Keep your sense of humor. I think a lot of people ask me a question that sort of annoys me, which is, I don't know how you could do it or I could never work with my husband. I think the question you have to ask yourself is how is it going to work best for us? Because you can't compare yourself to others. Um, Everyone's got different talents. Everyone's got different tools. Different comes to the game with different resources. And asking yourself the question, 
what can I do to make this the best possible for us? How can I maximize my value in our lives? How can I be the best mom? How can I be the best wife? How can I be the best human being? Those are the questions I like to ask myself to step back and not try to say, well, how do you do it? It's going to look different for everybody. Okay. And not second guess it. That's interesting. Not second guess it. It, Most of it, well, me, I know me, I second guess a lot (laughs) when it comes to a lot of decisions the last six years. And, And now that my life has changed radically with mom's passing, it's second-guessing everything now. Like, I don't even know what I want to do and where I want to go. And I can advise my clients like crazy, the few that I've had over the last few years because I put mom as my priority. You made this major decision to get a law degree. And that's not something a lot of people... 20 years into a marriage, um, how long have you guys had Clever Ducks now? About the same, just over 20 years, yeah. 20 years, you've got kids, um, and you've got all these other responsibilities, and all of a sudden to say, okay, now I want to do this. What was behind that decision that now is the time? I think we have to ask ourselves how much time we have. I mean, everybody gets 24 hours. My grandmother used to joke, I don't care what they do, they can't make me work more than seven days a week. (laughs) It's like Mm. everybody's got the same amount of time. Right. And I asked myself, okay, what, what can I do? Now the kids are in high school and moving on to college. You know, I've got a certain amount of different responsibilities and time and and what could I cut out that would give me time back and what could I what could I add to my experience that would be useful to me and so I looked around the room and saw that I'm deep business experience and small business experience and deep experience in governance of companies and a real interest in policy and legislation that affects our business. And, you know, I looked around, I asked myself, okay, where can I make the biggest impact? And a lot of that came back to the rules, regulations, policies, legislation that affects the the air we breathe in business. And decided that law was a way for me to have more influence moving forward. So I saw it as an advanced business degree, albeit an unlikely one. Most people probably think of an MBA um, first when they think of an advanced business degree. Uh, And then I asked myself, okay, can I do this? Can I find the time um, and can I maintain a healthy, balanced life as much as possible despite the commitment it took? part-time to go to law school at night on the weekends for the four years I did it. Um, And there's always 10% is my joke. You can always find 10% more. You can always find 10% more time. That's easy. 
because you can cut a little here, cut a little there. When you're looking for more than that, it gets hard. But, um, you know, I, I made some, some decisions about cutting out television, absolutely. Um, really out of the loop on a lot of television. <laughs> I haven't had time for that. But that's, you know, it, it's all about a trade-off. You only have so much time. So what can you cut out and um, and still maintain things that you need time for? Because you can't cut out time for exercise. You still need to do that to stay healthy. Um, you still need to be there for your family. Um, and sometimes you, that means combining things like going for a walk with your husband or, you know, combining exercise and, and together time with the kids by finding something you can do together. Um, you know, it's about looking at dinner and saying, okay, we can ask the kids to cook more. My husband can cook more. He likes cooking. That sounds great. Um, you know, really looking at simplifying a few things in your life. Um, and then not sweating the small stuff is important. And uh, asking yourself, is this small stuff or not? That's the hard part. Um, and then when the going gets tough, you just have to lower your standards. There's going to be days when, you know, the salad at dinner is an orange. You've got to peel it yourself. No one's going to die from that, you know. <laughs> you're sitting, uh, you're talking to me and I'm sitting in the middle of orange country. Indian River Citrus is world famous and we're coming into orange season. So I'm laughing that you picked an orange. <laughs> Absolutely love your oranges. They're special. Interesting concept you, you talked about. There are going to be times where you just need to lower your standards. And it's not on the life and death stuff, obviously, but asking yourself, is this small stuff or not? How can I simplify? Nobody's going to die if they have an orange as their salad. It's probably a good thing. How do you get the other people in that are impacted by these moments when you need to perhaps in that moment have the orange versus a whole chopped salad. How do you help bring them into that same mind space? Now that's leadership, isn't it? And I'm not always the best at it because sometimes you're in such a hurry, you just plop it down and make it go. Um, that's my danger because I'm a, a real maximizer of time. Uh, and with my own kids, sometimes I think I, I miss the ball to say, hey, you know, this is why we're doing what we're doing and, we're all in the same boat here, and look what you're learning. Isn't this great? I think we need to stop and and use those moments to lead. And sometimes it's obvious you're doing what you're doing, but setting some expectations. Um, luckily, you know, we have, my kids have uh, pretty realistic expectations. And, you know, when they were, Younger, they would complain. Everybody else's mom makes their lunches, you know. And uh, that was an opportunity to say, hey, but you know what? You know how to do this. And you've got all these choices here. It's okay if you do it yourself and, and, and flex those muscles. Um, and same with our employees. You know, we, can, we need to give the tools and the scaffolding and do the shopping and have the thing there for the kids and provide opportunity to talk uh, just like we do at work with our team, but we don't we we can't do everything for everybody. And families and organizations that have 
that level of delegation in them are really strong. Um, it's not a it's not a bad thing, and we can't compare ourselves to Martha Stewart. Uh, <laughs> you know, we can't expect yeah. to make perfect bento box lunches all the time with little rice balls that look like kitty cats, and you know. And, and we're going to go into our realistic. last. We're, we're going to go into our last commercial break on that. It, it's a perfect image to go out with. Don't worry, you don't have to be perfect, everyone. It doesn't have to be the perfect bento box. We'll be right back with more from Amy Cardell. What affects the air you breathe in your business? If anybody's um, able to tweet that out, I think that is just an amazing question that Amy posed in our last segment. What affects the air you breathe in your business? And then you can determine your response to that. Because my listeners, Amy, all know that I'm not really good at tweeting and doing my show at the same time because I've really found that I need to focus on on my guest and make sure that I'm listening to them and hearing what's going on. You, you were talking about leadership when you are making certain choices and decisions and perhaps in a moment there's a crisis going on and you can't get everything in that you're juggling, you getting your law degree, the business, the kids, everybody's trying to get out and you're teaching your kids some lessons of making their own lunch. But with leadership, you still have to provide them all the ingredients to do that. What would be your your best piece of advice to an entrepreneur whose business is undergoing some change? The way they were doing it really isn't working as well as it used to and they need to begin to make some shifts simplify perhaps they need they're asking the questions is this small stuff or not but they need to be looking at the bigger picture so my advice to someone in that situation is to be really honest with yourself first of all Um, if things aren't going well it's important to really understand what that means. If you want to make a change, it's really important to understand what that means. I think sometimes it feels like we're that proverbial frog in the pot and the water's getting warmer and warmer and warmer. We don't notice it. And to be honest with ourselves sometimes means getting outside opinion to say, hey, you know, you've only got cash flow for three more weeks. This is a big deal. And you're thinking, oh, it's no big deal. No, this is a very big deal. So you need to be really objective with your numbers and you need to be really honest with yourself about what you can change and make fast changes and seek to learn from others who've done the same or in a similar business. That kind of peer group where we first met uh, with our businesses over 10 years ago, that that type of insight from a peer can be so valuable. And to be open to that, you have to be rather vulnerable and humble. Um, but most of all, you have to be brutally honest with yourself about the numbers. And then beyond that, the next piece of advice is to really step back and say, what is my business objective? You know, is it to have a lifestyle business that's comfortable and profitable and steady eddy kind of business or do I really want to grow and then to ask yourself why do I want to do that because growing is hard growing is nature wants to stay the same you know nature doesn't create surpluses you know you look at the the beehive it has enough honey uh the bees bring home enough pollen to make that hive work and uh 
every system in nature isn't, there's not a system where it creates a lot of excess that I can ever think of. And um, unless the beekeeper intervenes, you know, and harvests that honey, which we actually did for the first time with uh, ourselves this week at our beehive, which was really cool process to see, but now the bees have to start over and we ha- we're making them work harder. But that doesn't happen from nature itself. So we have to ask ourselves, you know, do we want to go beyond what nature will just do, which is basically status quo? And are we willing to make the sacrifices for that and uh, be honest with ourselves that if that's the case? You have your own beehive? Yeah, we have bees. That that's just so cool. Now I, I couldn't because I have an allergy, um, and if I got stung, it would be a problem. <laughs> but what you know, using that analogy of bees in a beehive, you're now having to take care of something and understand their natural environment and how the impact that you're going to have on it, because you don't want to break down their structure, otherwise that means that you no longer have access to those resources, correct? Right. So beekeeping is surprisingly simple. You kind of set it and forget it unless something goes wrong, you know. Um, But when you intervene to take the honey out, you're telling the bees they have to work all, all over again, you know. And that's the same thing you're doing with your business is harvesting the profit or, um, you know, looking to create excess and so you have to tweak on nature to get the yield maybe that you're looking for okay so let's let's take that a little bit further your business is this beehive and you're trying to grow the yield of it you're growing as people and individuals as the business owner and you're thoughts and directions maybe going differently than when you originally set up your business, like you wanting to expand and and grow personally as well. What advice do you give to make sure that, or questions do you ask? It doesn't have to be advice. It can be questions to throw out there to get people to start thinking about how you can increase the yield while holding whatever your new truth might be for you. I think the key question to ask is where is the world going? What are the macro trends that are affecting it? Um, And in my case, I saw regulation being a piece of the macro trends for privacy, for security, for small business regulation. It's something that's increasing thus for me. Law is where the ball is going. I think in every business it could be different, but I think you need to look at what are the macro trends. One of the biggest trends I want to make sure people think about is automation. We're going to see more and more automation. We've seen a lot already. That could be coming to you in the form of autonomous vehicles or robots in factories. Um, people are, People's jobs that are automation-proof are something that they really need to think about. How does this affect my business? Um, Looking at things that can be done by automation is is something that's a huge, hard trend that we need to look to. As computing gets cheaper, as sensors get better, 
Um, there's certain things that only humans can do, but really that's a whole other discussion. I think we need to ask about the question of how does the macro trend of automation affect my business? And what other macro trends are affecting it my could, situation? So it could be a way of actually rethinking your business um, I'm reading a great book for a guest that's going to be on the show, Daniel Burris, The Anticipatory Organization. And these are a lot of the thoughts that he talks about. Think about where things are going and then how you can meet that need. And speaking about meeting that need, we're coming to the end of the show. And I want to make sure people know how they can reach out to you, either if they need help with Clever, you know, that Clever Ducks does or perhaps they're interested in, in working with you in some way or they have a question based on something on the show. So how do they reach out to you? The best way to reach me is to go to our website, cleverducks.com, and you can find my email there and send me a link. Um, I'm also on Twitter and uh, LinkedIn as well. You can search for me, Amy Cardell. And that's K-A-R-D-E-L. Um, what's your Twitter handle, Amy? It's Amy Chick Geek. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I got it a long time ago, and I never changed it when I was just playing with Twitter, and, and I just enjoyed it. So it's kind of a, a fun handle, but you'll find me there. Um, I just changed my Facebook handle because I was Laura Stewart Atchison because I got married and then divorced, and it was really bothering me. And since Mom died, I really wanted to take back my name on it. And finally, thanks to um, somebody at, at Facebook, I was able to get it, and I just changed it to I am Laura Stewart. Oh, that's great, Laura. That's darling. That's really fun. <laughs> so it's well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so people need to find me on Facebook now. It's I am Laura Stewart at Facebook dot com. But of course you are. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the show with me today, Amy. It, it's been such a joy having you. I'm so glad we finally got to have this conversation. I'm grateful as well, and I just wish everyone a thoughtful and productive day. And congratulations again on becoming a lawyer. Thanks for being part of the party this weekend. Yeah, it was awesome. I love it, love it, love it. All right, everybody, remember that the right questions truly can change your life. It, it's about looking at being open to answers that you might not expect and asking those uncomfortable questions. Amy gave us so many great questions to think about today. Enjoy them. Think about them. Let us know what you're thinking. Tweet out at the Laura Stewart or find me on Facebook at I am Laura Stewart. Have a great day, everyone, and hug someone you love. You've been listening to It's All About the Questions, starring Laura Stewart. Connect with Laura at itsallaboutthequestions.com and download a free workbook that will help you ask better questions starting today. 